The text for the sermon this day is taken from Genesis 22, especially this verse, where it says, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Abraham is given a very, very tough test of his faith. I mean, for those of you who have children, think of those children that you have. Or if you don't have children... Perhaps you just think of anybody that you hold very dear, whether it be a parent or a sibling or whoever it may be. And what if God were to come to you and ask you to sacrifice that person? How easily could you do that? To take a knife to slay them and to burn them. That is what Abraham is being asked to do. And remember, Abraham is not a young guy. He's in his 90s. He, this is his one and only child. And now God is telling him that he needs to go sacrifice this one and only child. But Abraham surprisingly faithfully he makes that journey a three day journey I mean, imagine that, that doing that some of you may know what it's like to await a really big surgery you know you have a big surgery coming up you know maybe a few days ahead and you know the anxiety that comes with that kind of just a small fragment of the taste that he has where he is walking three days getting ready for the death of his son. Getting ready for being the one to be the one that sacrifices him. So for three days it's got to be going through his mind and he is preparing himself for the reality that his son is going to be dead. Now, admittedly, Abraham has a little bit of help. And this is one of the reasons why last year we went through the Old Testament. is because if you read previously in Abraham's life, you would know that God gave a promise to Abraham. That Abraham would have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they would come through 
Isaac. Which means he kind of knows, he knows that somehow or another, God is going to make Isaac better. Because he knows that, I, that God will keeps his promises. But still, there's that thought of causing your own child that level of pain. But he makes the journey nonetheless. And when he gets to the top of that mountain, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, by the way, whenever you read that title, angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is the pre-incarnate Christ. Notice in the, old, in the gospel reading, Jesus said that Abraham longed to see this day. He acknowledged that Abraham had seen Jesus. And to which Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. The crowd knew exactly what Jesus was calling himself. I am is the name that was given to Moses. When Moses asked, who shall I say sent me to the, sent me? And he said, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. Yahweh is an intensification of I am in Hebrew. That is God's name. And so when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he basically, if you were to read that in the Hebrew, he would have been saying before Abraham, Yahweh. In other words, he called himself, if you ever hear anybody say, Jesus never claimed to be God. That verse, yeah, he did. There's a reason they wanted him dead. Because under Jewish law, if you commit blasphemy like claiming to be God, they'll kill you. That's why they wanted him dead at that moment. So this, so anyway, so the angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ saying, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. See, what happened with Abraham was a foreshadowing. Is a foreshadowing of the promise to Abraham, and not only to Abraham, but to the entire world. Isaac was a type and shadow of what was to come. Because the reality is that Abraham was growing up, as was Isaac. In fact, Abraham and Isaac were both very guilty of this. Were growing up in a world of sin. And they themselves were sinners. Abraham was the one that you could read in, the, in Genesis on multiple times trying to pawn, pawned off his wife as his sister. And said, ah, she's not my wife, she's just my sister. Allowing others to commit adultery, try to commit adultery with her. Isaac would copy dad and do the same thing. They were not perfect, and that's one of the things you learn in the Old Testament. None of these people were without sin. 
None of us are without sin. Every one of us has inherited the sin that came from Adam and Eve. The sin that, and, the, and this, because of this sin that we have, what we call original sin, it is the reason why we sin. We, so in other words, people sometimes get this idea that we are sinners because we sin. No. We sin because we are a sinner. Our sin, our sin is our nature. That is what we are born. We are born corrupt. We are born vile. There is nothing good in us. We tell people to do what's right. Do what's in your heart. Think according to your heart. Our heart is filthy. It is no good. There's a, a wonderful book by, written by a Swedish theologian. His name is Bo Geertz. Anybody ever heard of Bo Geertz? Okay. If you ever want to read a really good Lutheran novel, go read The Hammer of God. But anyways, it's The Hammer of God that he wrote. And in one of the stories, there's an older pastor and a younger pastor walking, walking around and the younger pastor talks about, says, talks about when he gave his heart to Jesus. To which the older pastor said, why would you give him that rusted old tin can? As if your heart is of any value. As if it is any good. It isn't. Look at that hymn that we sang. My song is love unknown. The first verse, it says, My song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown. We are the loveless ones. There is nothing good in us. We are the ones that do not even come close to showing the faith to sacrifice. We couldn't go to sacrifice our child but even, even, even lesser things, we have trouble sacrificing our time. How many people, how many different excuses do people come up with to not spend time in God's Word? How many excuses do we have to not spend time in prayer? How many of us make sure that we, we pray before every single meal, even if we're at a restaurant, even if it's... Even if it's in the drive-thru at McDonald's, you don't, by the way, you don't have to close your eyes to pray, so don't close your eyes if you're driving with the McDonald's food. You could pray with your eyes open. But how many of us come up with the littlest, itty-bittiest excuses to not? What excuses do we come up with to not attend the divine service? We are not willing to sacrifice the smallest of things in our lives. And then you have this, what Abraham was willing to, the reason Abraham, I believe, was willing to sacrifice Isaac is because I, Abraham understood something that many of us forget to understand. That Isaac was a gift. Because, I mean, think about it. How many, 80, how many couples do you know where the husband's 90 and the wife is in the, their 80s how many of them do you know are having children? Know of any? I don't. 
But that's what happened with them. They had their child in the extreme old age and they knew better than anyone that their child was completely a gift of God. And they knew that as the Lord giveth, he also taketh. We so very often do not treasure what we have. In particular, we don't treasure the children that, are in our, that we have. Or grandchildren. Every single one is a gift. I'm at that age where many of my relatives, many of my friends, are, getting ma- are married and they're having children or trying to have children. And I know some who would very much like to have a child, but they're, they haven't been able to. It's a reminder that every single child that is born is a gift. And that doesn't even account for those who don't make it out of the womb for whatever reason. We are to treasure every child from conception until their last breath. We're supposed to cherish every person, every gift that God gives us. But very often we are discontent and we want to think, if only I had different, only if my children were just a little bit brighter or maybe a little bit more athletic. Or maybe might think, or maybe if you're a child, you might think only my parents were a certain way and not another way. We're always looking for reasons to complain about what we have. See, these are just the small ways that sin manifests itself in our heart. And we can speak of the good things we do, but reality, as Luther put it, your works are about equivalent to use toilet paper. Luther used a lot stronger language than that, by the way. That's what our works are like before God. They're nothing. And that is why God's lamb had to be sent. That's why he had to send his only son. And his only son had to spend three days in a tomb. And his only son would have to go up the very same road that Isaac and Abraham did. In case you do not know, Mount Moriah, where Isaac was sacrificed, you'll re- you read about it on Good Friday where it's called Golgotha. It is the same mountain. That Jesus himself was led up. He too was caught in a thicket. It was a crown of thorns pressed deep into his skull. Very similar to the one you got right here. Except for, I don't see, there's not any thorns on it. But you got the image. Driven deep into him. He was the one where, who the nails were pounded into his flesh. He is the one of whom Pontius Pilate might, have, might as well been the angel of the Lord saying, why? Let, why sacrifice? Why crucify him? He's done nothing wrong. But what did the crowd say? Crucify him. Crucify him. There was no one to stop his death. And Jesus, but before you get the idea that Jesus is a helpless victim, that he could have done, that he just was, you know, this poor child that had, was being abused by his daddy, 
which some people will actually, there are some pastors in other Lutheran denomination that does say, argue that. There is, Jesus said when he was arrested, do you not know that if I, at any moment if I wanted to, I could call upon a legion of angels to my aid? In other words, Jesus could have ended what happened at any minute. But going back to that hymn, my song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless who is us shown that we might lovely be. He, ta- he shows love to you in the form of his death on the cross that you might become lovely. See, any merit and worthiness that we have is completely from Him. The reason why we are, every person is to be cherished and to be loved and valued is not because of us, but because of our Creator, Creator and because of the One who died for them. In life, no house, no home, my Lord on earth might have. In death, no friendly tomb, but what a stranger gave. What may I say? Heaven was his home, but mine the tomb wherein he lay. The grave that we deserve, the hell that we deserve. Because without Christ, that is where we are sprinting. That is the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is death and hell. That is the consequence. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he was chosen as the lamb of sacrifice, it guaranteed that all those who are called to faith would not experience damnation. But would experience eternity, would experience the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That is what we are focusing on and what, what we are gradying our hearts and minds as we get to Good Friday. That this is what was achieved on the cross the defeat of sin, death, and the devil, the guarantee of us not going to hell. It's a reason to celebrate literally every day of your lives. That we are not destined for that. But here's the thing. Do you know why why God does not take you up to heaven the minute you are saved? Why doesn't that the minute that you are baptized or however you came to faith, God doesn't bring you straight up into heaven? The reason is... Because there are a lot of people that do not believe in Jesus. There are many people who are destined for damnation. And you are here for one reason. To tell people about Jesus. To tell them about what he has done for them. That every sin, no matter how great it is, even as great as the sin of Judas, can be forgiven. Judas didn't accept forgiveness, but it could have been. There is no sin too great. 
Those who come to faith have eternity. Your job in this world, wherever you may be, whether it be your student, whether you work, your, wherever you work, where, where you go shopping, where you go to eat, wherever you may be, your job in that place, in that moment, is to be an evangelist, to be, to be a witness to the gospel. And I know that's not easy, it's not popular. But here's the question. What would you rather have? To feel a little moment of discomfort or have that person go to hell? What do you prefer? If you prefer that they go to hell, how much do you hate that person? That's why I don't ever tell someone go to hell. Don't ever say the other, the more extreme version. You're wishing a horrible, horrible thing on a person. Tell people about Jesus. You have eternity. You have salvation. May that hope be on your lips until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. Please stand. We confess our common faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God, light of light, very God of very God, God and not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory, to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. Now I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Dear Father, we are cast down and disquieted for our sin. Disquieted, for our sins, our race is justly judged. Yet you have provided for us a lamb, even your only son. Vindicate us, O Lord, for the sake of his cross and resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. Your beloved son said that whoever keeps his word will never taste death. 
Bless all ministers of the word, especially Matthew, our synodical president, Steve, our district president, Mark, our circuit visitor. Guard them from false doctrine and immoral living. Help us to rightly understand and truly take to heart your holy word. Lord, in your mercy, pour out your spirit on your church in every place. Bring unity where there is discord. Be with all Christians facing persecution. Strengthen the bonds of faith and love between us and our sister churches throughout the world. Lord, in your mercy. Dear Father, we confess our family life is not as you designed it to be. Strengthen husbands and wives in fidelity and charity. Grant those to whom you have entrusted children patience and wisdom. Guard the children of our congregations from the attacks of the evil one and the seductions of the world. Work reconciliation among family members who are estranged. Lord, in your mercy. Remember all who are in authority in our nation, state, and city. Protect those who serve our community, especially those who risk danger on our behalf. Lord, in your mercy, sustain all who endure trials, the sick and the homebound, especially those who we remember silently in our hearts now. Lord God, we lift up to you Mike Cleave as he had uh, back surgery this past week. We also lift up to you the shut-ins of our congregation. We lift up to you Marilyn Miller, Mary Swanson, Wilbur Bokey, and all others that are, and all Evelyn Rayburg, and all others on our hearts and minds. Lord, in your mercy. At his invitation, we approach the altar of your son this day. By the new covenant in his blood, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve you. Lord, in your mercy. Finally, dear Father, be with us this passion tide. Put to death in us everything that is evil. And bring us with joy to celebrate the pastoral mystery of the, of the son whom you gave. And through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated as we continue with the gathering world.